Well, hey, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Special welcome to you if it is your first time worshiping with us here this morning, whether in person or online. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, and I am excited to get into what is going to be the final uh, sermon in our kind of uh, spring-long sermon series on the wisdom literature, but today is going to be our final sermon in the book of Proverbs, which is kind of uh, kind of the intro to wisdom. So think about think about it like this: you know how in college you have kind of different levels of classes within a major. At NDSU, we had like the 100 level, 200 level, 300 level classes. I've heard from Julie that apparently they they go by the thousands at the U of M. Is that right? I guess at the U of M, you just add an extra zero to everything over NDSU. I don't know, maybe. But uh, anyway, you, you know how it works, right? You get into kind of the, uh, the intro classes of a, of, a, of a major or of a field, and you, you get through the 100 classes, and you think, man, this is going to be a breeze. I've got all of this down. It's so simple. I'm just going to coast through the rest of college. And then you get into the 200, the 300, the 400, or 1,000 classes, and you start to realize, hey, it's just actually a little bit more complicated than you know, my freshman brain initially thought about all this stuff, right? There, there's more to it. When you actually get into the real world with this stuff, it's not always as simple as the theory seems to state it. And I want us to think a little bit about the book of Proverbs as kind of our intro level to wisdom, kind of our, our setting a foundation for us. And we talked about these different voices that are uh, kind of speaking to us in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And so think of, think of Proverbs as this bright young teacher kind of giving us the foundational principles of wisdom. And, and, and when, we, when we are talking about what we've been learning so far in, in Proverbs, we can put it all into kind of one phrase to kind of describe the foundation of wisdom, the kind of the, the guiding principle of wisdom. And it's something scholars call the retribution principle. All right, so basically it works like this. And if you've been following along in our, in our series in the, in the book of Proverbs, you, this will make sense to you. God rewards the righteous in proportion to their righteousness and God punishes the wicked in proportion to their folly. So much of, of what we've been talking about in the book of Proverbs, kind of, you see this principle at work. What you, what you sow, what you plant, is what you'll get back, typically. That's what Proverbs wants us to believe. And at the heart of it, the, the big idea is that God is just and righteous. We, we, Proverbs wants us to see God as someone who is just, who does justice, who, who, who rewards those who seek to honor him, who fear him. That's what the book of Proverbs is telling us. But of course, when you really start to think about this retribution principle, when you start to examine it, okay, like when you get out of the theory of it, just like you, you, know, you start to move on out of your 100 level classes, some questions and maybe some, you know, uh, maybe even problems start to arise with this thing, the retribution principle. So like exactly, you know, like how does it work, right? What, what should my expectation be? If I, you know, you know, we talked in one of the sermons about taking a read step, trying to pause and take in information before you make a, a quick decision. But what happens if one night I, you know, make a quick decision to buy a pair of jeans that I don't really need that badly? You know, if when I get them, is, you know, because it, maybe it wasn't a wise decision, are they automatically not going to fit me? Is that how wisdom works, right? This sort of bounce back effect? Or what kind of a time frame? What kind of a schedule is wisdom on? If I do something wise or, or foolish, will I get the result of that tomorrow? Or will I like, get it somewhere later in my life when I don't even realize that it's a consequence of this decision, good or bad? So I can't even connect the two. 
right? Or, or going deeper, it, you know, is about the substance, right? Is it about our, my mindset and my intentions or is it about the specific actions that I do? Wh- which, is, which is the part about wisdom that we should be looking for? If I do something, you know, kind of thinking or intending it to be wise, but actually it turns out to be kind of a foolish decision, you know, wh- which one wins out? Or do they cancel each other, right? Like, you know, how, how does this actually work out? Or maybe you're asking yourself this question. How is this different than just karma, right? Like, is this just some cosmic math equation that Proverbs is telling us about? All right, or, or maybe this. Uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of motivation does it create in us? We have a dog named Kinsley. We love her to death. But boy, is she food motivated, right? And so everything for her revolves around getting fed, which is super helpful when we want to train her for stuff. But you start to wonder sometimes, like, how much does she actually, like, love me and Julie and do stuff because she loves us? Or how much is she doing stuff because she's trying to get us to feed her, right? I see some dog owners in in the crowd laughing. It seems like you have the same question, right? If that's how God has set everything up to work, like, is he just creating people who are just trying to do good stuff to get a reward? Is that actually developing and cultivating love and fear of him when that's the system? It's a really important question, and we'll actually talk about that question specifically in the book of Job. Um, we'll also talk about this question in the book of Job and in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we'll be kicking off next week. The question about the problem of evil, all right? The, the modern way we would state this is, why do tragedies, why do bad things happen to people who are good or innocent? We see that all the time, right? That's a question we're constantly, I think, wrestling with. Or the way that the Bible often states it, we find it kind of stated the opposite way in the Old Testament. Why do wicked people prosper, right? Why, why, do, why do such rotten people sometimes find themselves so successful in the world? Doesn't that seem to contradict this retribution principle, this, this concept that God is just and, and righteous and rewards people for that? And so what we're gonna be doing is, is for the rest of this series, now that you kind of have the main principle in place with wisdom, I want us to really get into it in more depth. And we're gonna explore into the other wisdom literature some of these questions and how wisdom actually, you know, what what we actually, you know, further clarifying this foundational principle that we've learned in the book of of Proverbs. And and like I said, we're gonna be getting some other teachers, some other voices to help us to understand that. The authors of Ecclesiastes and and, uh, Song of Songs and Job. We'll we'll be digging into all of this stuff. How do we apply these 100 level concepts into the more complex world of the 200 and 300 and 400 level classes? But as we wrap up the book of Proverbs today, what I want us to do is I want you to think of it like we're bringing in a guest speaker. You know how this happens sometimes in your intro classes, like the teacher decides, let's bring in someone who's, you know, graduated with this major, who's been working in it for a few years and actually knows what they're talking about and can kind of help, some, help the, the students to make sense of it. And today our guest speaker is actually the guy who literally wrote the book on wisdom, uh, Solomon. He's the one who wrote for us the book of Proverbs. He's also associated with um, the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll talk a little, Julie will talk a little bit more about that la- next week. And he's the one who writes the book of the Song of Songs for us, which we'll be getting into at the end. So all these wisdom literature books, he's either the, the author of or is strongly associated with it. Job is the one book that he really is not associated with. Um, but he's kind of the guy that you think about in the Bible when you think about wisdom. Right? He, he is the king of Israel, he's a part of the line of David, and the king figure is supposed to lead Israel to God's redemption. And so the promise gets set with Solomon's dad, David, 
a promise that God gives him that he is gonna bless his, uh, his, his seed that's gonna go out and bring God's redemption in the world. And Solomon is, is sitting in that, and the question is, is he gonna be the one who contributes to this or, or does it, and how is he gonna be the one to do it? And so when David's story ends in the Bible, Solomon starts, and it starts off really good. And we're gonna talk about his story and how it starts and then how it ends today, kind of weaving in some of the stuff that, that Solomon himself either wrote or collected into the book of Proverbs to kind of evaluate what, what it tells us about how we can learn about wisdom as well, as we try to apply this foundational principle in all of its depth, right? Trying to understand what it is and what it actually isn't, because I think we can have some misconceptions about this idea of the retribution principle. Okay, so let's start off with the story of Solomon. Imagine he's going back to the beginning. He's telling you all about his rise to wisdom and to be the king of Israel. So one night, Solomon, who had just become king, his father David had just passed away, um, he had just become king, God actually shows up to him in, in the middle of the night. Okay, and God is definitely not a genie, but he kind of is like, hey, Solomon, Pretend that I am a genie right now, okay? I'm gonna give you a chance to ask for one thing to help you to be this, this king figure who is going to deliver Israel, who's gonna be a part of this promise to David and lead uh, Israel's people uh, in, in, in what they're called to be as a people. And I wanna help you do that. So you can ask for me anything right now, right? To help you be that king. And um, Solomon could ask for a lot of things here, right? It doesn't seem like there's any conditions set on this. Solomon could have given a really bad answer and God had kind of said, well, I'm gonna give you that because I told you I'd give you whatever you wanted. And, and so what, what, you know, what he could ask for is he could say, you know what, give me wealth and honor. Let me be great, right? He could be Aladdin from, from the Aladdin movies when a genie shows up to him. And you remember that scene where he kind of busts into, busts into the city with all the elephants and all the people dancing, celebrating how great he is to try to, you know, proclaim how amazing this, this Prince Ali, uh, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa, who's, who's come to marry the, the princess. Solomon could have asked for that, right? He could have been seen as this great, amazing king who everybody would have loved, filled with riches and honor and everything else. Or he could have said, you know, I've been reading a lot of think pieces here lately and I have a lot of really good ideas, some ways that I could really spruce this place up. You know, there's some stuff my dad did that I really would, you know, think we could go in a different direction here and I would love it, God, if you would just sort of bless some of my ideas. You could kind of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the one to think about them and you don't have to do anything. You just have to make sure they're successful and that everyone sees how brilliant I am, okay? He could have for sure asked for that too. But he doesn't ask for either of those things. He asks something else for God. And we find in 1 Kings 5, 7 and 9 that he asks this. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. What he's asking for here, what he thinks is essential to be a good king, is wisdom. He, he thinks wisdom is gonna be the thing that helps him to, to, to lead Israel in a way that is appropriate for who Israel's supposed to be. He says, you know, in, in order for me to do what I'm supposed to do, I need wisdom because I understand that wisdom is the way that the world has been ordered according to you, God. And I don't have it because you do. You're the one who wove this all into creation. And so please, I want you to teach me what that looks like. 
You know, I am like a little child when it comes to these things, and I want you to, to help me to lead your people well according to your wisdom. Give me a strong understanding and sense for that. And so what Solomon is doing here is he's actually putting into words, putting into practice what he himself writes or collects in the book of Proverbs in chapter three. He says in chapter three, verses five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Right, this really connects to that big idea of, of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom or knowledge that we find in other places in the book of Proverbs. And we look on that word, um, look at that word trust. The, the, the actual Hebrew, the imagery we're supposed to get from this is lean, okay? Kind of the imagery of laying prostrate on the ground itself. It's not just like leaning on something like, um, you know, where you're kind of doing some of the work and the thing you're leaning on is doing some of the work. It's like a full lean, like fully I'm gonna lean into this thing, okay? Not, not incline, but kind of support yourself. And that's what the word depend here also means in, in the Hebrew. Okay, this is not like a sort of halfway giving yourself over to this thing. It's a kind of a fully giving yourself to it. And when I was reading this, I was, it kind of made me think of a time we went sledding recently. Uh, we got together with our, with our community group and went sledding a few weeks ago, and it was fun to just hang out outside, but we specifically went sledding, and there is a, it was a pretty steep hill uh, that we were sledding on, and so the first few times down, I definitely like, I had my feet right out in front of me, and I was like, digging my boots into the ground a few times to try to like keep the sled from taking me at full speed down the hill, right? Especially the first few times because I was a little uncomfortable with it. I haven't sledded in a little while. And I ended up spraying myself in the face with snow. It was really like made it not fun at all. But what I, what I was doing was I was trying to manage the sled. Okay, the sled is supposed to carry me down the hill. That's the point of sledding, right? It, it, it's so that the sled is the thing that you sit on completely, you lean on it completely, and the sled brings you down the hill. But I was trying to manage the sled. I wasn't really letting the sled do its job. It was kind of doing some of the work, but I was kind of doing the work for the sled by keeping my feet out there, and I wasn't letting myself be sort of fully carried by the sled. Now think of it like God's wisdom is the sled. That's the thing that's supposed to carry us, to show us which path to take, to show us what God's will is in all, in all situations. Okay, but we have a hard time, I think, with truly letting the sled carry us when it comes to God's wisdom, all right? Often, you know, we, 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 we take some of that, we let the sled do some of the work, but we're trying to manage God's wisdom a lot of times, too, kind of by throwing in some of ours, right? We might hear that God calls us to do this thing or says, wisdom looks like this, but then we, are, you know, we make sure to throw in a dash of our own wisdom there, too, right? Because we don't fully want to commit to the sled. We want to kind of be the ones to be the actual ones that are driving it, okay? But what, 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 what this verse is telling us is to let God's wisdom be the sled. Let the sled do its job of carrying us down the hill and not try to manage it on our own. And so in all you do, God will show you a path to take as we trust in him. In whatever we're called to manage, right? We might not be called to manage a kingdom, but we're all called to manage some things, right? Whether it's raising kids, whether it's navigating the time of life that we live in here, navigating COVID, uh, performing your job well in the midst of that, uh, just owning a social media account these days like feels like a lot of work, right? Uh, dealing with people who you know, don't think like you, maybe they didn't vote for you, or maybe family members who are tough to talk to sometimes, for whatever reason, all of these things that you know, we're kind of called to manage, just like Solomon is called to manage this kingdom. 
And here I think is where we start to see that wisdom isn't just, it, it isn't, it, it's not some sort of cosmic math equation like karma, okay? It's something else entirely. It, it's a trusting relationship that's founded on the character of God. And, and while we, we see that there are certain things we can expect to come from uh, for us when we do trust him, it's not built on guarantees. It's not a vending machine. It's not, I put in this amount of money and I expect to get this thing out of it. It, it, it. It's a trust in the character of God, the one who Proverbs also tells us is the one who works everything out to its proper end. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs about how God is the one who sort of directs everything. And so we're supposed to lean on or trust him so that when he's working things out, we can believe he will act wise and just and act for us who, who are seeking to honor him. And so any idea of, of wisdom as sort of this cosmic math equation just sort of misses the point. When we act wisely, it's not for a result, not to get something from God, but because we trust him. And we trust that whatever he does give us will be wise and just. That's how, that's how this works. And this relationship of trust is how Solomon's story starts out, okay? So let's get back into Solomon and his story here. Jump into verse 10 here. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such that no one else has ever or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as, your, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So God is like, all right, we can work with this. You know, he's very pleased with Solomon's answer. Right? And he says that, you know, even the stuff you didn't ask for, you're still going to end up getting this, all right? They will be byproducts of your wise rule, kind of, kind of cementing it, showing people what it looks like to seek me out and honor me and what wisdom actually gives you. People will look to you as wise and they will see that you have uh, not ended up in a bad spot because of it, okay? And this is the truth, right? When we do give ourselves over to the sled, we shouldn't be surprised when we actually have a lot of fun. That, okay, that's why, we, that's why we go sledding, right? Is to have fun. And when the sled does its job, we'll often find ourselves having a good time on there. All right? It, he just warns him, and, no, and notice this, to continue to, uh, to walk in my decrees and commands, or walk in obedience, right? Kind of fear and trust me. Continue to do that in your life. All right? And so things go really great for Solomon. Right? We're told that the people of Israel are as numerous as sand on the seashore. They're contented. They have plenty to eat and drink. They have their own gardens that they can kind of manage. And it actually has a little bit of this uh, Eden imagery, right? People living in the garden and, and kind of flourishing. Right? They live in peace and safety. The kind of constant war and conquest that David had as king of Israel, that stuff mostly entirely goes away for Solomon's reign uh, for 40 years. They live in total peace. Uh, they're so, they become so rich that silver actually loses its value. It, it, right? Silver becomes kind of not important. It's all about gold. Like that's, how, that's how good things get for Israel. And Solomon, he builds this glorious temple Right, he does something that everyone has been waiting to do, to give God this beautiful house in Jerusalem to sort of signify the majesty of this God that Israel worships. 
And Solomon is not, he's known across the world for his wisdom, but not just his wisdom, we're told. He actually, he's seen as an expert on statecraft, right, on being a good, good king, a, big, a good leader. He's actually a, a, an expert on zoology and animals and botany and, and plants um, and, and maybe even a love doctor, right? He writes the book of Song of Songs for us. Like, he, he's kind of known for his, his, it's not just like a narrow area of focus. He's known as someone who's wise in all of these different areas or disciplines, and so because of this, his fame blows up. He goes viral. He's like the time person of the year for like a decade straight. And then there's like a break, and then he keeps winning it for another, he's like Tom Brady, right? He just, he, even when there's breaks, he keeps winning after that, right? And, and he's sort of known even to these far reaches of the world. And so we get this story, and this is kind of the pinnacle, the culmination of, of the greatness of Solomon, the queen of Sheba, kind of far off in the south. She is known as this very wise figure in her own right, and she puts together this caravan of people and they all show up to kind of seek out, create a, create a relationship with this wise king to get to know him better. Now somewhere in there, somewhere we're not told where, okay, but somewhere in there, Solomon's mindset seems to change to where at the end of the story, he seems to be a different person than he was at the start. Okay, we find he, he has sort of uh, uh, kind of gotten the stuff that he didn't ask for and he's kind of pretty excited about it and pretty happy about it. Okay? Remember, remember he could have asked for riches and glory? He gets that anyway. Right? He could have asked to have his wisdom lead to that for him to be seen as wise even though we know God is the one that has gifted him with this wisdom. And, and it seems like as he's presented with those things, he kind of succumbs to them. He, somewhere in there, he starts to get the sense that you know, he's the one that's managing the sled instead of the other way around, okay? Perhaps, you know, it was, it was him starting to believe that maybe all the people who came to him from all these other countries and were saying things like, Solomon, you're so great and wise, he started to really think, maybe it is me. Maybe it's more me than God even, right? Maybe that's where this all came from. Maybe I was already really a genius before God showed up to me and asked me what I wanted and I said, give me wisdom. Maybe I already had it. Maybe it was more me than him. Okay, and I think this is the temptation when we find that wisdom leads to success for us, to kind of only buy into it to, to get to Solomon's place, right? We're gonna wanna treat wisdom, we're gonna naturally approach wisdom, where we hear that it says things like, if you do this, you will find yourself flourishing, you'll find yourself in a good spot if you walk in this way. We're naturally gonna start to view wisdom as like a stick, that we can whack the pinata with to get the candy out of, right? Where God becomes the pinata and we're just trying to get stuff out of him, okay? We're gonna naturally be tempted to view him that way. And if we're honest, like a lot of the times when we pick up books that are, you know, quote unquote wisdom books today, right? Kind of, you know, written by some, you know, famous person. We're reading it to try to figure out how do we get famous and successful like this person, right? How do we get to that point where we ha- are the ones that are like you, living as a celebrity and with fame or riches or success or whatever it is we're looking for. We're trying to figure out how can we get there too. And, and, and the success, it seems to be that Solomon buys into it. But okay, this is not the purpose of wisdom, this sort of thing that we do to try to get a good result back for just ourselves, right? That's not the purpose of wisdom when we really dig into it, okay? Wisdom is about creating an environment of flourishing. 
It's not just for one person, it's not just for an individual, but, but trying to create a culture, an environment of flourishing that everybody starts to see the benefits of as they follow this wisdom, as they start to trust in and lean on the one who has woven wisdom into creation and sort of works everything out according to his purpose. It's, it's a gift given to create an environment of shalom or, or heaven on earth almost, if we think about it like that, through aligning to the creator's design. And it's not really about us getting good stuff out of it, even though that might happen, all right? And it, and it does happen many times. That's not the point. And so Solomon is supposed to be using his wisdom for all of Israel, not just himself, okay? And so questions that we posed at the beginning that we might ask ourselves about wisdom, like when do I get my stuff, or how great will it be? How do I know, you know what it's gonna look like? These are really kind of missing the point. And while we talked about how good things were going in Israel a little bit ago, we also start to see throughout the narrative that there's some kind of some cracks in it. It's maybe not quite as good as it seems like it is at first reading. So a really good example of this is we find out in one place that Solomon is building all of this stuff. He's building the temple. He's making the city of Jerusalem into like the height of itself as a city. And we're told that Solomon used forced laborers uh, to build this stunning new Jerusalem in the temple. And, and that's how it gets translated sometimes. But what it is is it's slaves. Solomon is using slave labor to build all of this stuff. And he put these rulers, these harsh bosses, over them to really drive them to to make sure that they're accomplishing this well. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, there's actually only one other place in the whole Old Testament where we find the same language used, this this language of harsh rulers and, and forced slave labor. Can you guys guess where it is? It's in, it's in Egypt, yeah, it's in the Exodus. It's the same place that Israel got delivered from when they themselves were the ones who were, uh, had harsh rulers put over them and, and they were forced into slave labor. So in all of his wisdom right now and the stuff that Solomon is doing, he is, he is turning into Pharaoh a little bit. That's what the, the narrative wants us to sort of see. Not fully, right, but to a degree he's leaning into this wisdom of Pharaoh. And, and this starts to make Solomon unaligned with wisdom passage that he, passages that he himself threw in the book of Proverbs. Again, he literally wrote the book on this stuff, okay? Uh, we're just quoting his own words back to him. But we see him start to get unaligned with things himself that he said. So example, Proverbs 31, 8-9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And so, you know, Israel's starting to look like Egypt. As it becomes successful, it's starting to look like a different sort of vision of flourishing than you would have think that God expected, especially as one who delivered Israel from slavery himself, okay? Building up this great society on the backs of slaves, right? And, And of course, this has not ended in Israel, right? We ourselves find ourselves living in the midst of a a success that has been built on the back of slaves. We're reflecting on that as a country so much right now. So much of our own enlightened wisdom here as a country is is not much different from what we see from Solomon here, okay? And just by the way, right, this is kind of an aside. Proverbs says there's a lot more passages in Proverbs like this. This isn't the only place in Proverbs where we find this, all right? So when we approach Proverbs, again, as this sort of book that's gonna give me a bunch of little aphorisms to tell me how I can find success, we're skipping over a whole big chunk of what the book is actually about, 
right? This idea that, that wisdom is creating an environment of flourishing for everybody includes that we look out for other people than just ourselves. But unfortunately, I think we skip over this stuff a lot of times to get to the stuff that you know, is gonna benefit us when we approach the book of Proverbs. So don't let that happen to you as you continue to read this book, you guys, all right? But for Solomon, wisdom kind of becomes a means to, a, to celebrity, to riches, to glory, and as we'll see here in just a second, to women. It, it started to become a means to an end for him. That's kind of start how he start, seems to start viewing this wisdom, this gift of wisdom that God had given him at the very beginning. And so when we get to the very end of his story in, in 1 Kings 11, it really draws out what, what God seems to see as the final nail in the coffin for him. So Solomon had uh, just this infatuation with, with having women. He had, okay, just get your mind around this, okay? He had 700 wives, now, uh, and, and, and for him, a lot of this is not about trying to, you know, form a really good, healthy relationship with all 700 of these women. I'm sure he didn't even remember all their names. Like, if we're being honest, it'd be really impressive if he did, okay? These are about political alliances. So in the ancient world, you, you would marry uh, to kind of uh, form alliances with another nation to make sure that relations were good between you. So, so much of Solomon expanding Israel out into this, you know, great nation that is known everywhere, at least in his mind, needed to include all of these marriages. And it starts to kind of causes Solomon to compromise, right? He starts to adopt the customs and the worship of these wives and the other nations that they represent, and he starts to worship their gods too. Okay, he stops fearing and trusting in God alone and worshiping him so that he can kind of worship these other things that he thinks, I, th- I imagine, are giving him and, Nate and Israel sort of this peace and safety as, as a country. They, he thinks that probably is pretty important, and it causes him to like even worship gods like, like a guy named Molech, who is known for child sacrifice, right? So it, it, it gets him to compromise in some pretty, some pretty terrible ways, right? So he has 700 wives, these political marriages, and then he has 300 concubines, which are just women who hang out in the palace that he can sleep with whenever he wants to. Like, that's what they are. And this is kind of who Solomon is at the end of his life. He's got a, a thousand women that he has at his disposal to kind of do whatever he wants with. And this is the last straw for God, okay? This, 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 this thing that he desired in his heart of political safety through alliances rather than on God, this, these desires he has for sex and fame and prosperity from trading with all these other countries, as this becomes what his heart desires, God starts to, starts to be very displeased with Solomon and starts to sort of say, I'm not, I'm not okay with this. And, 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 and Solomon should have known in this, again, going back to the stuff he wrote, that he was playing with fire with all of this, okay? We find in Proverbs 30, seven to nine, oh God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I go, grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's name. Give me just what I need. Don't give me too much because at that point, it will be too easy for me to just say, who is God? I don't need God. I've got all, I've got all this other stuff. I don't need to rely on God. I'm going to be totally fine without him. Okay, Solomon knows at the time that he compiles this that success can cause you to think you don't need God anymore, right? That, that, you know, that you maybe lean on him when you need him, but after you kind of are like, I don't think I actually need him, you start to lean on these other things instead. And so at that point, it's not a big deal to take on worship or wisdom or customs of his wives to sort of give his, his love or devotion or worship to other things because he does, he's already kind of said, and at least in his heart, I don't really need God anymore. 
It's not a big deal to go to worship these other things. All right? And so, 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 so he had all he needed. So why did he need God now? That's what it says in verse nine. And so, so, so Solomon gets this place where he replaces this fear and trust in God with a sort of stunning awe, it seems, of his own genius, his brilliance, and his celebrity. And yet, yet again, we find, if we, if we sum it up that way, that he is, he is not following this, the things he's called other people to follow if they want to seek out wisdom. He says, and again, referring to Proverbs 3, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. And it's, so it seems he became impressed with his own wisdom and this pride overtook his heart. And this is how he ended up, by the end of his life, running the kingdom of Israel. Okay, starting out, you know, looking to run it in wisdom, in sort of total fear and humility before God, taking his own words wisely uh, to fear the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom and ending up somewhere where he dies rejecting worship of God alone and he finds himself rejected by God in his death and things start to really unravel at the very end of his life. He finds uh, that he's a victim of his own success that in the midst of his death, a new enemy rises up to challenge Israel. Um, His kids start a civil war that ends up fracturing Israel in two for good, right? It is not a happy ending for Solomon, unfortunately. And so as we look at him, we gotta ask ourselves, where, where does this leave us? How, what does this teach us about this idea of, of wisdom and what it actually looks like for us to follow this, okay? Now, um, let's go back to where we were at the very beginning of the series. We, we talked about this a little bit today. I really wanna lean into this, though. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 3, we talked about trusting in the Lord and depending not on our own understanding. I guarantee you that when I talked about this, I, I can guarantee you this because I know that I do the same thing, all right? When I, when I read this, when I preach it to you even sometimes, I find myself not taking it seriously. So I guarantee you when we hear uh, that wisdom starts with trusting in or fearing God, when we hear that, I guarantee you there, like, there's at least some of us um, do this and, and for, some of, for the rest of us, there's an impulse to do it that we kind of gl- just gloss over it. We kind of think, yeah, that seems pretty basic. I get that right? Trust God. I know. I've heard this before. Let's get into the other stuff. I want to hear the rest of the stuff in wisdom, okay? That's 100-level stuff. I'm ready to get into these upper-level courses, okay? When, when we do that, though, when we're kind of allowing ourselves to gloss over this, we're kind of rejecting the way that we actually grow, which is returning ourselves constantly to the fundamentals of our faith, Right? The way that we are going to grow is not by learning new things all the time, but it's by learning to reapply over and over again into new situations the basics or the heart of the gospel. And for, for wisdom as it applies to the gospel, it's about trusting and fearing God. And so when we, when we gloss over that, we find that we're, 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 we're not really letting the sled carry us. We're, we find that we're actually managing it. And we might, be in, we might end up, if we don't actually start with this posture of fearing God, of trusting in him, of sort of cherry-picking God's wisdom, picking the stuff that we think sounds good, but then making sure that we throw in dashes of our own in there too. And all we're doing at that point is just kind of managing the sled. 
Now, let me heighten this a little bit. I've been reflecting on this this week. This is always applicable, but I think for us now, not that it's more applicable, but, it, but, but there's a heightened sense or a need to apply this. All right? We're living in the midst of a world that is going through these massive shifts in society, right? Um, we're, we're entering a new era in a lot of ways, and a lot of sociological commentators, people who think about this, are, are aware of, of which, you know, the habits and patterns that we're creating because of a global pandemic, like, things aren't just gonna go back to normal, okay? Things are gonna change fundamentally. And you probably can think of this yourself, the way that you're reevaluating certain um, uh, attitudes you have towards things or, or commitments you maybe have in your life, you're, you're evaluating all those things because you kinda naturally have to, right? Everything is kind of on the table, we're all recalibrating our lives in a certain sense, right? We're going through major shifts in how we think about the world we live in even with, with all of the societal unrest that's been happening in the last year or so, right? So we're throwing a lot of stuff on the table and that's because crisis really precedes change, it accelerates stuff that's already there. And so, what, what we're doing now, and what we actually have an opportunity to do, is to kind of really survey the kingdoms that we've created, right? The, the, the ways in which we've ordered and structured our lives as if we're kind of king over them like Solomon. We have a chance to ask ourselves, okay, as I've kind of shaped my, my, my life and what I believe and my uh, attitudes and my habits and practices and what I choose to invest my time, right? The, the goals and purposes I set for myself, we, gotta, we can ask ourselves here, well, are we just managing God's wisdom or are we actually like letting the sled carry us, right? Because if we actually look at it, we probably find that we have a lot of cracks in there too, just like we saw cracks in Solomon as well, despite the fact that maybe things looked really good, right? If we really truly look at ourselves, even in the good places, we will probably find similar cracks as well, ways in which we're not maybe following God fully, that we're not fully giving ourselves over to the sled, Okay, but the crisis that we're in or the disruption that we find ourselves in right now gives us a chance or an opportunity to reevaluate everything, to put it all on the table and to ask ourselves, how are we gonna move forward in this, right? As we navigate uncharted territory of a world sort of thrown upside down by the events of the last year or so, we can ask ourselves, are we gonna move forward in this like Solomon at the beginning of a story? Or are we gonna move forward in it like Solomon at the end of his story? Okay, which, which one of those postures are we gonna take as we move forward in uncharted territory? Are we gonna truly believe that God's wisdom is gonna be the thing that guides us into places that we don't know or don't understand, or are we going to try to just manage it with our own wisdom? Are we gonna to try to build it up ourselves and, and, and trust ourselves to kind of give us a, a path out of it? All right, I think this is a really important time for us to be asking this question, okay? I really, I really wanna encourage you guys to think about, think about the way that the world is, is going right now and, and really commit yourself to, to follow God's wisdom forward as the path forward in the midst of change, okay? Now, as we look for a leader in that, Right? Remember I talked about how Solomon was supposed to be this leader for Israel, to sort of lead them towards wisdom. Again, a part of these purposes or these plans that God had for the king of Israel to sort of lead Israel into redemption, to deliver them from their enemies. Right? They're waiting for someone in David's line to be the one to do this. And Solomon 
failed in that. We, 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 for all his greatness, right, and we can certainly say that a lot of, we obviously are taking a lot of good stuff from Solomon, right? We're preaching a sermon series through these books that he, he wrote or associated with, okay? So I don't want to throw him under the bus completely, but he obviously failed in some major ways too, okay? So, so where do we look? Who is the one that's going to lead us in this? And the good news is, is there's one who is like Solomon, but that is greater than him to lead us through this. Okay, and Jesus is the one who is that person. And he says in Matthew 12, 42, that the queen of the south will rise at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For she came to the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus is saying, the wisdom that I preach to you in the gospel is the sort of fulfillment and, the, and, and, and the, the culmination of everything that Solomon had for you. Even he, in his greatest amount of wisdom, was, was setting the stage for someone that would be greater than him to come and to preach us the full wisdom of God in the gospel. And it is rooted and is located in me. And so if you want to know what wisdom looks like, if you want to know how to have humility and fear, look to the one who doesn't fail. Okay, this is where we root ourselves in this fear of the Lord by, by looking to the one who doesn't fail and the one who gives us wisdom to chart our path as we move forward, the one who is greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ himself, the one who shows us God's true wisdom in the gospel. So our reflection question today, and I want you to think about this as we uh, close in, a, in some worship here, is this. Is there somewhere where I'm trying to manage God's wisdom with my own and if so, where do I need to rely to lean on him? Where do I need to give myself over fully to the sled? Okay, what is it that I'm trying to manage myself here? I want you to really just think about that and consider that question um, as we, we close in a time of worship. Let me pray. I'll set the stage for communion and then we'll get, we'll get started with that. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that one who is greater than Solomon is here. And that Solomon, in all of his wisdom and all of his greatness, who wrote these books that we are, we've been going through who are just, that are just so full of life and so full of wisdom, God, we thank you that even though he failed to live out what he calls everybody else to live out in wisdom, that there is one who is greater than him, who shows us true wisdom, who enables us to walk in it through his death and his resurrection, and who gives us a model of what it looks like, God. Help us to, to follow him, to fear and trust in him, to have humility before him. As we walk forward into whatever it is that we're going to be walking into here, Lord, <laughs> give us wisdom and a wisdom that is centered on the one who is greater than Solomon, your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.